0: Thanks for listening to the Northridge Christian Podcast. At Northridge, we exist to help people move closer to Christ. We believe that following Jesus is a journey, and we want to help you through that journey any way we can. We pray that you grow in your walk with God through this message today. So prepare your heart and mind for this teaching by our group's pastor, John Shaw. Good morning. That's pretty good. First service did it better, though. I'll forgive you, though. You've already had your coffee, it's starting to wear off, you know, whatever. Hey, fellas, can I talk to you for a second? We have something coming up just for you. We have our first men's gathering coming up at our lake lot this Thursday. Okay, this is gonna be a lot of fun. From 6 to 8 p.m., we're gonna have really good food. We're gonna have Daryl McElroy Michael Wayne from the FCA, the Federation of Christian Athletes, um, and he's one of the area directors, um, and he's going to come speak about the role of men, and it's going to be really good. Uh, we'll bring in some people to sing. We're going to have worship under the stars. We're going to have fire. We're going to have food. You uh, can't get better than that. So make sure you sign up. Um, if you haven't signed up already, uh, there's a QR code on the chair in front of you. that will take you to the hub. Go to the hub and go under events and register for it. It's going to be a great time it's been a good series, hasn't it? Man, it's been challenging. It's been good. It's been freeing. Um, When Adam uh, told me that I got to close it out and I could preach on whatever I wanted, I'm like, wow, it's an honor. Um, And I knew immediately what I wanted to talk about. Identity. Like, our identity is so important. And for me personally, when I'm looking at my mental health and uh, how God has kind of guided me and brought me to a place of stability. I feel like in, in my own soul, in my life, it's because my identity has been rooted in Christ. But man, we have a lot of things that we identify ourselves with, don't we? Like if you just look at my office, you can see a lot of things that, I, that identify me. Um, so you see like sports gear. I got some stuff back there too that I, I identify as a, a fan, Nebraska fan specifically and, and other things. Uh, you might see like my diplomas or something. Uh, my education uh, defines me, my job and, and who I am, like, that defines me. You might see like, pictures of my family, like a father uh, and a husband, like, that defines me, like, that's a big part of who I am. And you might see things from around the world, from different countries I've, I've lived in or visited on mission trips, like China, Uzbekistan, uh, Ukraine, like, uh, my love for missions defines me. And we like to define ourselves by all kinds of things, and most of them are benign, and they don't really matter very much. Um, but there's one thing that ought to go above and beyond us and define us more than anything else. It is the most important thing for us, and it answers the question that everybody, everybody's asking: Who am I? Do I matter to God? And so here's our sermon in a sentence. This is going to guide our whole, whole conversation today. Our identity changes our eternity. It really does. Our identity changes our eternity. When we truly believe what Jesus says about us, we're going to act and live differently. But when we don't, when we allow the world and, and Satan to creep in uh, and attack our identity, we're going to have some troubles and struggles And so what are some of those things that that Satan likes to use to confuse us on our identity? Well, first of all, he likes to use our hurt, pains, and trauma. If he can get you upset or angry about something that's been done to you or something that you've done or done through you, then he can distort who you are in Christ. And next, he's going to to use other people's opinions about you. Uh, Surprise, people lie. Okay, people lie to you all the time. Did you know that? When I was in high school, I was at a student retreat, and I was just like singing, I loved it, and, and this girl turned around after one of the songs, she's like, oh, you're a good singer. I was like, oh, thank you. I'm a, I'm a good singer, thank you. And man, I thought I was a rock star. And, and a couple, couple months later, I'm talking with some of my friends, like, yeah, I'm a good singer, this, this girl told me, like, John, you're really, you're really not a good singer, I'm like, but this girl, she, she told me so. Like, she, she wouldn't lie to me. So I went to my best friend. I'm like, he's not going to lie to me. He's going to tell me the truth. I'm like, so this girl told me this. I'm, I'm going to here, right? I'm like, John, you have no range. You're just like right here the whole time. You cannot sing. Just leave it to the professionals. I was crushed. See, somebody lied to me, and I believed it, and I thought I was a rock star. Most often, it's more in a negative way, isn't it? Most often, somebody says something about you, uh, and it just starts to eat at you. It goes deep into your soul, and you, you feel unworthy, uh, unable, uncapable, unloved, unvaluable. So people, people lie, both good and bad. Uh, Satan will use our media, our social media specifically, to distort your identity. Well, what happens when you start scrolling through, and you see these people with their perfect lives? What does Satan tell you? Well, you don't. You don't have it all together. Look at this person. This is what a good person who's got it all together looks like. And you're not there. And you just start to feel like I just don't measure up. I'm not there, and I, I never will be. And finally, he uses our, our feelings. Like we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, that feelings are a bad indicator of who you are. Feelings lie. So we have a million different things, a million different people, a million different ways uh, of people telling us who our identity is. And when we're looking at our mental health, if we are not rooted in Christ, if we don't know our identity, each one of these is going to erode and destroy our mental health. You will never be truly happy, successful, or genuinely fulfilled until you know who you are in Christ. I truly believe that. So how do we know who we really are? I love how the 17th century uh, mathematician, physicist, uh, theologian put it like this, Blaise Pascal. He said, not only do we know God by Jesus Christ alone, but we know ourselves only by Jesus Christ. We know life and death only through Jesus Christ. Apart from him, we do not know what is our life, nor our death, nor God, nor ourselves. And the Bible, specifically the New Testament, did you know it says over 35 things about your identity in Christ? 35 things. Like, these are a lot of really important things, and if you take them to heart, if you you make them a part of who you are, it's going to change your life. We're only going to focus on five today. I'm going to make it simple on you. We're going to focus on five parts of your identity, and they're all coming from one passage, uh, 1 Peter 2. We're going to start in verse 9, 1 Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So the first thing we see from this is you are chosen. You are chosen. Each one of these is going to be written in the fact for you to write down because you need to take this in. But I'm going to be talking about you. You are chosen. This is important for all of us because our deepest wounds comes from rejection, right? And because rejection hurts so much and we've all experienced rejection, we spend so much of our lives trying to earn acceptance, don't we? we try to earn it from our family and our friends and our coworkers, uh, from those that we respect and especially those that we envy. And we do all kinds of crazy things to earn acceptance, right? We can see this in the houses that we buy, the cars that we drive, the clothes that we wear. We do all kinds of crazy crazy things for acceptance because of the pain of rejection. Remember when you were in elementary school, they're picking teams? If you weren't picked first or within the first couple, you start to worry, what if they pick me last? And then if you were last, oh, man, you are crushed. You hate being picked last, right? Being chosen does a lot for your self-worth, doesn't it? If you're chosen for an award or an honor or a promotion, it means a lot for you. Do you know what boosts my self-esteem? That Lindy chose me. Yeah, my wife, Lindy, uh, when she moved to Colorado, she surfed through our staff page at our church and she found the only single guy and then she Facebook stalked us, me, and she chose me. Some of you might find this creepy. I found it endearing. (laughs) But she chose me and I love that. And guess what? God chose you. God chose you. Somebody doesn't like you, that's their problem. Listen, listen to this from Ephesians 1, 4. For he chose us before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight by his love. Before the stars and the world and the, the sun and the moon and before the oceans were created, before the land and the plants and the animals, God chose you he chose you. You are completely valuable and acceptable. And how are you? Why are you acceptable? We see this Titus 3. Jesus chose you. Jesus <laughs> treated us much better than we deserve. He made us acceptable to God and gave us the hope of eternal life. So this acceptance, it, it doesn't come because of anything we've done. It comes because of who Jesus is and what he did for us on the cross. It is based on who he is God loves you and he says that you are acceptable to him because he loves you and his son died for you. And second, second thing you need to know is you are valuable. You are valuable, you really are. Do you know why you're valuable? Back to 1 Peter 2, you are valuable because you are God's chosen possession. You are valuable because of who owns you. Now, say Tom Brady was here. Have you ever been to an auction and they're selling stuff? You know, stuff that is owned by famous people uh, sells for much more than stuff owned by Joe Schmoes, like me. Say Tom Brady was here and we both had a mug and we were were auctioning off this mug. Whose mug's gonna go for more? Tom Brady's. Tom Brady had a a ring. Actually, it wasn't even his ring. There was a ring, um, a Tom Brady family and friends ring that sold in 2018 for $340,000. This ring only cost $30,000 to make, and yet it sold for 10 times that much. Why? Because it was associated with Tom Brady. It wasn't even Tom Brady's. It was just associated with him. You are valuable because of whose you are. Do you know whose you are? Deuteronomy 7.6 says this about you. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples of the face of the earth to be his people, his Treasured possession. That's who you are. But value isn't just based on who owns it, it's based on how much someone is willing to pay for it. How much is your house worth? However, much somebody's willing to pay for it. Do you know how valuable you are? This is what Jesus paid for you, 1 Corinthians 7:23. You were bought with a price. Do you know what that price was? It was everything, it was Jesus' life. If that doesn't tell you how valuable you are, I don't know what will. If you ever want to know how valuable you are, you just look at the cross. Jesus has his arms wide open. I love you this much. I love you this much. And I have given it all for you. You are valuable to me. I love you. Do you know what else makes you valuable? How you look. Before you boo me off the stage, hear me out, okay? Okay. You are valuable. People pay more money for things based on how they look. And guess what? You look like God. There's there's this whole theology about the Imago Dei that you have been made in his image. Have you ever thought about that? Look at this Genesis 127. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created us. Male and female, he created them. You don't make something that looks like you and yes, you care about it. When God made mankind out of the dust of the earth and he breathed his breath into us, he gave his value based on his value. We are valuable because of him. We reflect God the same way that the moon reflects the sun. We are his image bearers and that makes us valuable. So you are valuable because made in his image, he exchanged his own Son for your life. He paid that ultimate price for you. So the people in your life that told you that you are worthless, they're dead wrong. You are valuable to God. You're valuable, you're chosen. Number three, you are loved. You are loved. Start start with me in Romans 8, verse 15. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If we share in his sufferings in order that we may share in his glory. Like this is one of my all-time favorite verses in the Bible. Do you understand what this is saying? You and I, we are brothers and sisters with Christ. We have been adopted into his family. This is incredible. Here, here's the thing. my brother was adopted, and he likes to lord this over me all the time. He says that my parents chose him, and they're stuck with me. <laughs> and that's kind of true. God chose us. See this in Hebrews 2:11? Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. The God of the universe is not ashamed to call you his brother, his sister. That's amazing. That's how valuable you are and how loved you are. Jeremiah 31.3 says this, I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love. With an unfailing love, I have drawn you to myself. No one loves you like that. No one. Like, I love my wife and my kids more than anything on this earth. And I fail them all the time. All the time, I fail them and I love them more than anything. And there's something that you need to understand about this love. It is unconditional. It is everlasting. It's not a I love you, but. It's not an I love you, if. Like so often we think like God wants us to do these things for him to love us. No, 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 no. God's love is an I love you and. I love you and I have a plan for your life that is better than anything you can imagine. I love you and there are some things that I want you to live out in your life that is better for you than what you're thinking. Here's the thing that you need to hear. So if you don't hear anything else today, hear this. God loves you so much and because he loves you so much, he refuses to leave you the way you are. Do you hear that? God loves you so much, he refuses to leave you the way that you are. God's love is unconditional. It doesn't depend on anything you've done. It's just because you're his child. This is, this is how I love my children. I hope for those of you that have children, I hope this is how you love your children as well. Like students, like someday you will understand this. When, when you get your, your first child and you're holding them and you feel like your heart's about to explode out of your chest. It, let me let Ryan Reynolds explain this for you. I used to say to her, I would take a bullet for you, I would, I would, I could never love anything as much as I love you, I would say that to my wife, and then the second I looked in that baby's eyes, I knew in that exact moment, that if we were ever under attack, I would use my wife as a human shield, to protect that baby. I love that video, I love Ryan Reynolds. But it's so true. Like, we love our children, and they, they can offer us nothing. They're literally sucking the life out of us in some ways. And yet we love them with a love that is so different than, than when a boy likes a girl. This love is unconditional. There's there, there no strings attached. There's, there's nothing going back and forth. It is all one way. And that's how we love our children. I mean, when our children do something wrong, we're disappointed. We're disappointed. We're sad. There's going to be consequences, but that doesn't change our love for them. We still love them the same. That is how God loves you. It's not contingent on anything we've done. It simply is. And I know there are some of you in this room that struggle with this comparison because your fathers did not love you like that. And my heart breaks for you. But I want you to know that your Heavenly Father loves you in a way that is unconditional. It is complete, even the best fathers in this room, even the best fathers in this world are going to fail. He will not. He will always love you completely, perfectly. So you're valuable. You are loved, number three, number four, chosen. And number four, you are forgiven. You are forgiven. We see this back to 1 Peter 2.10. Once you received no mercy, but now you have received God's mercy mercy. He said, before you're living in guilt and shame, but now you have his mercy. Do you know that before you were conceived, before you were even a thought in your parents' mind, God already knew the worst things that you would ever do, and he still loves you. It's not like God's sitting up there surprised when you do something. Oh, I didn't see that coming. No, God already knew everything you did, and he still loves you. Everything you've done and will do Like that is so important for you to understand. And all of that has been erased. Christ has erased everything that you've done because of his love. Might still be consequences, some natural consequences based on what you've done in this world, but it's not like God sitting up there and getting back at you. So often we kind of think like when something bad happens to us, you know, God's getting even with me for something I've done. Is that how you treat your children? That's not how God treats you, no. no. Romans 8, 1, says there is now no common condemnation for those in Christ, none, zero. God doesn't hold grudges. It's not like he's sitting up there, oh, did this, did this. No, he loves you and he's forgiven you completely. You need to internalize this. And here's the cool thing. It's not for your sake, it's because of who he is See this in in Isaiah 43, 25. I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I remember your sins no more. You see that God forgives me, not because of who I am, not because of anything I've done. He forgives me because it's in his nature to forgive. It's in his nature. That's who he is. God wants to forgive and Besides, you're forgiven because Jesus has already paid the debt. It's already gone. That's what Paul says Ephesians 1, 7. In him we have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of God's grace. You're chosen. You are valuable. You are loved. You're forgiven. And our last one today. You are capable. You are capable. You know, that's what, the, what Jesus says about, about you. You are fully capable to become all that God has made you to be. Back to 1 Peter 2, 9. You were a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Do you hear that? He's calling you a priest. You are a priest. I kind of get weirded out sometimes when somebody calls me pastor or reverend or or whatever, because here's the thing. You and I, we're the same. I might be up on the stage right now, but you have been ordained as a priest, as a pastor, and the word, to share the word of God, each one of you has done that. That's such an amazing thing to be a priest. Do you understand what a priest does? They go between man and God, and God and man, and they mediate. You get to go directly to God now. You are a priest, and he has given you all that you need to do that. Not because of anything we've done. No, 1 Corinthians 3, 5-7. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. He has made you completely capable and competent. Now, let me tell you why this is important. I think most people uh, in their life feel this kind of gnawing insecurity that I'm just not good enough. I I could never be that. And Why is that? Because a lot of us, were just playing these messages over and over again in our head from people in our past that have said things about us. Like, you don't matter. You're not good enough. And these messages weren't true then and they're not true now. And so what you need to do is you need to replace those messages with the truth of what Jesus says you are. Because you are capable because of Christ. He has given you all that you need to do all the things because of Christ who gives us strength. You have God's spirit inside of you. You are a priest of God. Now, studies show that the the younger you are when you were first rejected, uh, really, the the greater the impact that is on the rest of your life. Really, when somebody rejected you as a child, they cursed you for the rest of your life. When when somebody told you things like, uh, you don't matter, you don't measure up, you're not good enough. Why, why can't you be more like your brother? Why can't you be more like your sister? Can't do anything right. They cursed you. How do you reverse a curse? By believing what Jesus says about you, by internalizing this, that that, that you replace those messages in your head by But we talked about this a couple of months ago, by preaching to yourself over and over and over again, the truth of what God says that you are, that you're loved and you're acceptable, you're chosen, you're forgiven, you're capable. And you list these things, these verses uh, that we've talked about today, and you put them on your your fridge and you look at them every day. Maybe you, you put them on your nightstand and you read them every night before you go to bed and you read them every morning before you wake up, when you wake up. So the first thing that you do every morning, the last thing you do every night is that you're recognizing who you are in Christ. Maybe, maybe you pray about it. Each day you take one of them. Like, God, I am not feeling lovable today. I am really struggling. Can you just open my eyes to, to the truth that I am lovable by you? Because see, the, the battle begins in your mind and the thoughts have to be conquered. So you lean into the Holy Spirit and you ask him to renew your mind that you think like a child of God who is loved and you think not just here but you truly believe what Jesus says about you that he cares about you that he's wild about you. Studies show that your self-identity is for the most part shaped by what you think people think about you. Did, did you hear what I said? It's not what people actually think about you. It's about what you think people think about you. And man, we can get that so wrong, can't we? So wrong. That is why it is so vitally important for you to make Jesus the one who is most important to you. Because you already know what he said about you. When you know what Jesus thinks about you, and and this is what you think... It doesn't matter what anybody says about you. It doesn't matter what your parents or friends have said about you, your coworkers, or, or, or some random jerk that you met on the street who said this bad thing about you. It doesn't matter. None of that matters about you. You're not that. You're not what you tell yourself that you are. You're not what Satan says about you. So as your friend, as, as your pastor, as someone who cares about you, let me ask you, who, who are you going to believe Are you going to believe all these people who who have said these things? Or are you going to believe the God of the universe who knows your innermost thoughts, the worst parts of you, and still loves you? Who are you going to believe? Who are you going to believe? Start believing what God says about you. And here's the beautiful thing. Here's the amazing thing. When you recognize your true identity, when you start understanding this about yourself, the way you look at it and see others will change as well. When you know that person across from you who's cursing you out right now is made in the image of God and that God loves them and that they are valuable to God, even if they haven't accepted it for themselves yet, when you know that about them and you start treating them differently, your relationships will change. The way you treat others will change. The way we act and interact with everyone will be transformed when we understand that identity about ourselves and about others. So today, we're, we're going to do something a little bit differently. On your, your chairs, you, you had some papers kind of cool paper. These are dissolvable paper. When you put them in water, um, in about 30, 45 seconds or so, they'll dissolve um, completely. And so after I pray here in a little bit, um, we're going to give you a space, about 45 seconds. And I want you to just spend some time with God. God, based on this entire sermon series, what is one thing that you need me to give up to you? It might be your anxiety, might be your depression or your fear, your anger. It might be your addiction. It might be a false identity. I'm worthless. I have no value. Nobody loves me. I don't know what it is. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. And you spend about 45 seconds wrestling with God. I want you to write it on that paper. When we sing our next song, I want you to come up, we've got two troughs of water on either side, and I want you to put that paper in the water. But I don't want this to just be symbolic. I, I-, I want you to feel the weight of that. Like this paper is nothing, but the weight of what you're writing on it is everything. And I want you to just feel the weight of that go. Like, God, please, take this from me. I'm giving it up to you completely. And I, I want you to be able to look back in 10 years from now say, this was the moment. This was the moment that changed the rest of the trajectory of my life. This is when I realized that I was who God says I am, and I am no longer that person. I am no longer what the world says of me. Make this a meaningful moment. God, we, we come before you a people whose identities have been skewed and broken and destroyed. And so we ask you, we beg you right now that you open our eyes to who you say that we are. God, that we believe it fully, completely. God, that we can love others based on that identity. God, that we know that we are chosen. We are valuable. God, that we are loved, that we are forgiven, and we are capable not because of anything that we've done, but because of who you are. And so now in this moment, God, put on our hearts that one thing that you want us to give up, that one thing that we need to give to you completely and wholly. God, may you take that from us, transform us.